This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for summer camp leaders at camphacker.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I run a blog about running a great summer camp at camphacker.tv, and I'm also one of the founding members of gocamp.pro. Hey, Mike. Hey, Travis. How are you doing today? I'm Mike Sladden, the owner and director of Camp Pathfinder. We're up in Algonquin Park, Ontario. Hi, Travis. Uh, I'm Woody, and uh, I direct, uh, co-direct Camp Wanapate, which is up in Tamagami, and it's a uh, co-ed wilderness canoe tripping camp. Good morning, Travis. This is Fred Sprout with YMCA Camp Minogen. Uh, we're located on the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness uh, for canoeing, backpacking, and rock climbing trips for teens. Good morning. My name's Ruth, and I'm the summer camp director with YMCA Camp Pinecrest. Uh, we're run by the YFGTA, and we're located in Muskoka. Right on. Well, thank you all for being here. I'm I'm glad you're here to be part of this panel. It's a topic, as I've said to you, and I'm now saying to the people listening and watching, it's a, a topic that I feel I'm really connected to. I really love the idea of our topic today. Before we dive into that, though, I want to spend just a second and let the people who are listening or watching this on YouTube just get to know you folks just a little bit. So, um, Ruth, what's tell us a bit about Pinecrest and the range of what you folks offer. Yeah, uh, Pinecrest, um, I guess we'll start that we do have a traditional summer camp model where we offer programs for five to 14-year-olds ranging from three days to two weeks. Uh, and then as campers age through those programs, their trip experience lengthens. And so everyone does a trip that's part of, um, it's, it's inherent tool a tool that we commit to at Pinecrest to use. Um, and then as campers grow, uh, we have our traditional program, but then we also have um, two leadership streams uh, that we focus on. So one of those, what we call our traditional leadership, uh, and those programs you spend a good mix of time at camp and on trip, again, using trip as a, as a major tool for us. Uh, and then finally, our adventure leadership stream. So adventure leadership programs start at 13 and go to 16, and those are trips from two weeks to seven weeks in length. Again, as you age, we focus on, on age and that development stream. Uh, and then our trips um, are located all throughout Canada, mostly northern Ontario, Manitoba, and Quebec. Um, yeah. And in the Northwest Territories in Nunavut, depending on the year. Right on. Right on. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ruth. Uh, so, Fred, for Minogen, what's the, how would you describe the program just quickly? Yeah. So, we were founded in 1922. Uh, we're strictly a wilderness tripping camp. There's not really any sort of residential camp component. So, campers come in and they prepare for their trip. Uh, those can be as short as a five-day session, three days on trail, um, and as long as 40 to 45 days on trail. Uh, they go everywhere from you know our backyard boundary waters up to the Canadian Rockies, up to the Brooks Range in Alaska, up to none of it Northwest Territories, um, kind of anywhere and everywhere. And uh, yeah, offer a progression of trips so that kids can grow their skills um, you know, as they get older. And then during the winter months, offer a full winter camp opportunity to go Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, and dog sledding up there. Yeah, right on. Adventures for everybody. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks, Fred. Where, Fred, where do you draw most of your campers from? Uh, primarily from the from the Twin Cities, so Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, we do get a few few kids from the from the East and West Coast and a couple international, but primarily it's Minnesota-based. Yeah, great. Great, great. And Woody, what about Wanapate? Um, well, Wanapate is, um, uh, it's, I think, a bit unique in the sense that it's co-ed. And it's, so it's a co-ed wilderness tripping camp right from age seven right on through to 18 when the kids. Uh, um, that the camp. No. It's just, uh, it's, it's a neat opportunity having the genders work so closely together. Uh, can you trip together and share those experiences? So kids, uh, you know, if you're seven, eight or nine, you come for one or two weeks, uh, you'll do a, a three day canoe trip or, or six days if you're there for two weeks. Um, and then when you get to that 10, 11 age bracket, you're, you're coming for two weeks, 12, 13, 14, 15, two weeks or a month. We start whitewater teaching at the age 14 level. Um, and then we go, Go on from there. 
continue trips up a year, five days in length, and then other trips into, say, northern Quebec and, and other areas that folks have mentioned, like, um, you know, Nunavut in the Northwest Territories and, and trips ranging from, you know, two days in length, um, and all done on a co basis. Right on. Thanks, Woody. And Mike, tell us about Pathfinder. Okay, yeah. So Pathfinder is a boys' uh, wilderness tripping camp that was founded in 1914 up in Algonquin Park, Ontario. Uh, we're wilderness trips and a full in-camp program on a base camp island in the interior of Algonquin Park. Uh, the camp uh, receives boys from 7 to 16 years old uh, from all over North America and from Central and South America, Europe, and Asia. So kids are coming from all over the place to go to Pathfinder. It's very small, 110 boys in a session, and we run about 85 canoe trips a year. Uh, when you're a young kid at Pathfinder, you're taking a three, four-day trips. By the time you're 10, you're taking a week-long canoe trip uh, at a time. And it runs all the way up to the 15-year-olds who are doing uh, anywhere from 18 to 38-day trips in northern Quebec and Ontario. Uh, there's a leadership program that starts at 16 and runs through 19. That's a three-year apprenticeship uh, that's focused on wilderness uh, canoe leadership. And we're having a great time and also doing a ton of, you know, educational programming in the spring and fall. Madam. Great. Well, I am, as I said before, I'm super grateful that you are all here. Um, and uh, it's nice for you to commit the time to, to this audience and, and talk about uh, what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a, an edit point in there. I'm going to stop recording. Um, can you guys just check what are yours in particular? We were breaking up when you're talking. I don't know if it is, um, if other stuff running and even my video dropped. Um, <clears throat> but the nice thing is we can always edit these. So just double check and see if there's anything else that yeah, would be. Yeah, I've, I've been, um, you guys have been breaking up and I've been trying to figure out what else might be running and it's not like I don't have Dropbox or anything on right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, yeah, if I'm off a of video, I'm sure it's probably going to be a bit better. Right. What's, what's your thought? Well, you're probably right. Um, but let's right now you're fine. So, um, if you notice I start to break up, maybe you just drop the video out on your own and okay. I'll remember to keep coming back to you. I'll call it to you when it's your turn. <laughs> All right. All maybe right. Give Woody a chance to, uh, to redo. What, yeah, his intro. Yeah, I, for me at least, it was it was choppy, and, and yeah. uh, I think he's got a great he's got a great setup for yeah. Monopatay. Yeah, right on. Cool. Yeah, since you're working now, we'll do it again. Just okay. Woody's. And Woody, how about Monopatay? Well, uh, Camp Monopatay, I think it's uh, there is an element of uniqueness to it in the sense that we uh, do everything on a co-ed basis, so all canoe trips are co-ed so whether you're seven or right up to age 18 and in between um so it's a a really empowering place that way with the genders working together um and it's been like that since since the beginning the camp's been around since 1931 and that's the philosophy that started and we've happily continued on with um and our kids will do canoe trips uh you know, if you're seven, eight, or nine years of age, you might come to camp for a one or two week session, um, and you'll do a three or six day experience uh, wilderness canoe trip in that time. And then, you know, ten through to say fourteen, fifteen, you're there for two weeks or a month. Uh, fourteen, you're starting to learn how to paddle in white water, so moving water on rivers, and uh, and we have a, a sixteen, seventeen. Um, we have trips up to the James Bay area, a wilderness leadership and training program, trips into northern Quebec. And then when you get right on up to 18 for us, it's it's the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, um, Labrador, although it's been some time since we've been to Labrador. And those trips are 52 days um, in length. Yeah. Right on. 
So today, what we what I wanted to talk with with these folks about is uh, the power of the big trip. And uh, I know lots of camps that offer overnights or you know, three to four day trips, even week long. Uh, but I think that there's something different about a trip that is 14 days, 21 days. If people talk about over 50 day trips in a summer, and and um, having had many friends who've been on those trips, have seen great films from those trips and um and you know, just so many great things that have come out of it i really wanted to bring people in to talk about it today so i'm grateful that the four of you are here um i had said we were gonna not dwell too much on logistics but in the end i think i'm gonna start with that because um i think i have a pretty clear idea of what a big trip means but um there is some some huge stuff involved in that. And I'm not, I'm not talking about how to pack. I don't want to talk about how to pack, but I want to think about how, how you define a big trip and, and how, you, how you look after things like um, food, water, all of those things along the way, and how you get all that organized in the beginning. So, Ruth, I'm going to start with you. At, um, at, at Pinecrest, how do you look after the logistics of, of pulling together some of these big trips? Mm, um I think something that really helps us is the infrastructure that we have in place to support that. And so um, one is that we hire someone seasonally as our outtripping director, but that position is a four to six month contract, depending on their availability. Uh, and then they also have an assistant director and staff in uh, so just in terms of those human resources of people who, who know our roots, who know the language um, and, and who know the space that we have where we do all of the, the packing and planning out of um, so that's part of it. Another one is over the years getting to know roots better and so that we have relationships with local folks in those areas in terms of knowing evacuation points and knowing ways to support them. Um, and then spending a lot of time in, in venues like this, connecting with others so that we know, know best practices. We know the best way to communicate. We know the best, the best way to pack, the best resources for dehydrated food, for example. Um, those kinds of things are we're always learning and looking for more information on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right start. It's a huge question. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fred, for you folks, what's the, the philosophy of, uh, of pulling together a big trip? Yeah, I think you know, I'd piggyback on Ruth. It's really important to have staff that are, you know, committed and devoted mm -hmm. to, uh, to making those trips happen logistically. And so, you know, having a person whose full job is, is packing out food and ordering those quantities of food, having a full-time canoe master, a full-time equipment room manager, uh, during those summer months. Um, but I think, you know, perhaps more importantly is having just sort of our, our uh, wealth from the community. So, you know, having, having established routes and having, um, you know, every guide to keep a journal, keep a diary of their trip, having those trip records, you know, and people who have guided those trips in the past are such a, are such a, a wealth of knowledge, you know, and having them available to, to talk about, you know, what route was appropriate for their trip and why they chose that river or why, you know, they chose to go to the Brooks Range versus, uh, you know, any other area. Um, and having just kind of that, those experiences from past groups to pull upon, you know, I think is an amazing resource that we're really lucky to have. Yeah, yeah right on. Mike, for you folks, how, what sort of, I don't, but just not even the right word, like what sort of gear do you folks focus on to, to go on these big trips? Well, for gear, we've, come up with um, kind of a plan over the years. Um, I mean, in the most practical sense, uh, we're using a, a combination of either uh, Royal X-type uh, expedition trip canoes on big northern rivers, or we're using wood canvas canoes because part of our prime directive is traditional travel, and wood canvas is 99% of our fleet. Uh, we're using four guides uh, on a trip with eight uh, boys, so a 12-man trip. Uh, we're doing food drops. We're doing uh, air service, train travel, uh, remote trucking, you know, all the trains, planes, and automobiles to make all that work. Uh, we're giving them the best possible food, communication gear. Um, so budget-wise, you know, it's, a, it's the most expensive part of what Pathfinder does, and it yeah. is kind of a loss leader. Yeah. As you can imagine, and maybe the other colleagues will say the same thing. It's not so much that the camp profits from the long tripping program so much as the staff develop, development is there for future guides. Uh, the transformative life experience uh, piece of it is there. And the pride of uh, camp culture and ethos is there with the long tripping. 
So we spend a ton of money on it to make sure it's done exactly right. We think we're, you know, kind of a blue ribbon operation for those long trips. And it pays us big dividends in, in the, the culture and staff leadership of the camp. Right. All right. So that's, that takes us in a great direction. And maybe Woody, you could lead us off with this. What do you see are the benefits to your camp for investing the human resources, the time and the money in a program like this? Well, I think for me, um, on a personal level, I mean, I, clearly, um, I don't think any of us are in this to uh, become rich and, and make a lot of money. I mean, for us, it's about, uh, you know, producing folks that are, you know, that go on to contribute to society in, I think, really great ways, making really strong, strong people. So for us, you know, I, I may be a little bit off a topic here, but I think the investment for us is about the the resilience that we create in the, the kids that come through the programs that go on to become staff members that you know that are still transforming every time they return from a canoe trip whether you're a kid or a staff member and i think you know the investment is really comes down to that i mean we we go with best practices and making sure that we've got all the best technology and gear that we can have and what's available. And, and, uh, but you know, it comes really down to, to making resilient people that can go on and be just great contributors to the world that we live in. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but gosh, when you peel it all back, that's what it's, that's what keeps me going for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, Fred, how about you? I was thinking, what's the, what sort of changes do you see in staff? Not somebody about campers, but in staff, what sort of changes do you see, Fred, when they go on big trips? Yeah, you know, I think for a lot of our staff, uh, Minogen is a great starting point for a career uh, in the outdoor industry. You know, so for a lot of them, you know, this is their kind of launching point to work for Outward Bound, to work for Knowles, to work for a number of wilderness therapy programs. And then it's like you start putting down your trip resume and people ask, like, so you guided a... 40-day canoe trip in the Arctic. Tell us about that, you know? So just from that professional standpoint, you know, it's a huge advantage. It's a huge opportunity for them. Um, but I think what's really neat is, is they, you know, develop such a strong relationship with those campers and they're able to, to share so much responsibility, you know, really involve them into the decision-making process on a day-to-day basis, you know, much more so than you can do with, on say a five-day trip where by the time the trip's over you've just gotten to like you know know and trust those those younger campers so it's an amazing opportunity to have a very different style of leadership um yeah and i think that's just a great kind of professional development piece for them and a pretty neat way to get to make some strong strong relationships yep yep and ruth for you folks how do i mean other than the skills training what sort of training do you give them to deal with I mean, there's, I can picture lots of issues putting aside first aid and map reading and, and rescue skills, how, what sort of training do you give them to deal with the issues that come up on this longer term, close knit, physically close teamwork Mm. trip? Mm. It's a great question. Um, I mentioned it before the language we use is that we call this our, our leadership a stream of our leadership program. And so uh, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, developmental stages. So knowing the difference between how a 13-year-old interacts with others and how a 16-year-old interacts with others. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, leadership development and, and different leadership styles. And so that our trainers are in a position where they're able to facilitate that kind of learning and those kinds of conversations with our young people. Um, that being said, we've also been putting a lot of emphasis into training on mental health over the past few years. And so we equip our staff uh, with mindfulness tools and techniques, uh, understanding different levels of mental health and and where they need more support for us. Uh, And then a big part of that as well is our our out-tripping director who's on what we call the bat phone. So the call-in phone all the time, they have an even additional level of training so that if they get a call, uh, they know how to ask the right questions and to, to further support that team building. So there are a lot of the, um, kind of foundational stuff about how to build a team and how to build individual leaders identifying those strengths. Uh, but then we, of course, also have to equip them for, for the challenges. And, and we don't know how these, each young person is going to, um, is going to respond to the challenges that we can't even predict that they might encounter on those trips. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Mike, what sort of training do your folks go through when they are, 
and they've obviously grown up in the system, but what sort of stuff do you do to, to get them ready for changing roles and becoming a leader? Yeah, well, I guess on the superficial level, uh, you've got certification and formal training. And we do outsource uh, that, and, but simultaneously run it in-house. So for Pathfinder, for example, uh, ORCA moving, level, uh, moving Water Levels 1 and 2 training are required part of the progression as a leader. Uh, and those are run um, by Pathfinder staff with uh, professional um, paddling instructors. Uh, but we do it together as a team. It's sort of home court advantage, you know, on on the Madawaska and Gull Rivers. And then you've got um, wilderness medical and emergency training. And, of course, we think WMA is top-notch, and we've got every single person in leadership at the camp is first responder or EMT. And uh, we do that all in-house uh, with a uh, right at our base camp uh, every single year. And the camp pays for it 100%. Uh, to advance the staff's uh, qualification. Uh, same thing with life-saving, wilderness water safety, NLS, all those good things, and then swift water rescue um, uh, certs for long-trip leaders. So I would say that's the superficial stuff, though, Travis, right? Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, the, sub, um, the substrata is years of progression of responsibility and duties as a second guide on a trip that may be eight or nine days uh, in the park, and then you're moving up to you know, guiding on a James or Hudson Bay trip as a second or third guide in a party of four. And gradually working your way up in age experience um, so that when it comes time for you to lead that 38-day trip on the Severn River, uh, you're totally uh, ready for it. And both your decision-making and your confidence in uh, your fellows and your base camp, you know, all of that is predictable and repeatable. Um, and... That's just our culture. It's just to gradually work everybody. I guess that's one important thing for us to mention, too, is yeah. that we think that everybody who's on the staff uh, has an equal shot at leading these trips. And we want we don't want to end up with two or three people that are constantly doing the Hurricane or the Winnis River. We want everyone to rotate through these uh, roles. And uh, it, they, then they pay it forward, incredibly pay it forward at camp and, and in their own families and community. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So what do you do? You build that into your culture, uh, the leadership culture, the passing things on. And Fred was talking about journaling and things. It's something I never even thought of. But, of course, it makes so much sense. It's such a great way to make sure that that carries on. Is that something like what you guys do? Well, I think a lot of it is there's a purpose behind it. And a lot of it is quite organic um, in, in a sense. So you have staff that have been on staff for 10 years and you have folks that are just coming on for their first year. Um, to learn from from others and as like others have said and slads was just saying there's a lot of third party stuff that happens so you know dealing with the certifications and bringing people in to do that but i think a lot of the stuff um we give it direction for sure and a lot of it is just that the the sharing so when you have a younger staff leading with a staff member that's you know been around before there's a lot of collective knowledge that gets passed on and I think that's the beauty of, of our camps is that we really do have a solid foundation of that collective knowledge. And our job as directors, and like Ruth, you were talking about mental illness, that's, you know, 10 years ago, that was not the topic mm -hmm. that it is right now. So you interject that in and we address that and work that. And then now that information is starting to get into the system and how we deal with that. So, um it's the, the staff. We have staff that, like I said, have been here for 10 years and um, every single trip that they come home from and I, I see them paddle under our bridge, there is something there. They look different. It's something physically. It's whatever they've got. It's just different. They've learned as well um, as the kids. And, and uh, it's just it's really cool to see that that happen. You know, right. Travis, if I could jump in, I know, um, you know, what Fred, Ruth, and Woody are saying really resonates with me, and I bet they would all agree that what hangs off of this uh, sort of tripping tradition structure is the idea that uh, the senior guides and the younger guides with them on these long trips have this beautiful interaction, um, both in the preseason and the preparation, in conducting the trip, and in the relationships that they form and have with each other uh, sometimes for years after that 
And that really uh, trickles down in a beautiful way to the kids, the participants of the trip. So I really, as I said before, I really think that that certifications and the the stuff you can have a card in your wallet about is, mm-hmm. is one piece of the puzzle. And it's important, but it you can't hold a candle to the richness and the the substance of these these relationships. And like what he said, when the when the guys come home from these trips, they're transformed, and you can see it. It's you know it's so obvious, and a lot of that comes from how well they've blended together emotionally um, and with the kids. It's the it's it is the training. Yeah. 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 So that's a great piece about staff um, and all incredibly important. And I, I'm so glad you said that about relationships, Mike, because I, it's certainly the thing that I have seen from um, friends who've been on these trips and, and the people they share this responsibility with. And um, I, I always say for even uh, sort of t- more traditional day camp and residential camp that uh, this will be the job in which you have the most responsibility in your entire life. But then you take that and multiply it by 10 or a hundred because you're throwing them completely isolated out into extremes of weather, location, behaviors, all of those things. And, and um, the, uh, the, it, the changes that must be just remarkable that happened because of that. Uh, it, so let's move this a bit then and, and speak about kids. What, what do kids get out of, um, out of this experience to your mind? I'll, I'll let you start again, Mike. What sort of thing do you see from your boys when they get out of it, when they come back? Well, for a lot of our guys, it's the culmination of a, a childhood career mm-hmm. uh, in tripping. You know, a lot of these guys started with overnights on our home lake, and the next thing you know, they're out for five days, then it's ten days. Um They've collected a resume of every lake and river in Algonquin Park. Uh, they're excited about their first tomogamy adventure that might be 14 or 16 days cruising around in tomogamy. They're ecstatic about the the prospect of their first, you know, Des Moines River descent in Quebec or uh, their first James Bay trip. Uh, and then they're kind of beside themselves when they get told. And our tradition is you find out two days before departure uh, if you're headed on a particular Hudson Bay River. So... Uh, there's a, that excitement factor and the feeling that they're building up over their years and careers. Uh, even bigger than that is uh, the promise of reuniting with your friends who could be from far away from your winter life uh, every summer and reconnecting as a trip crew. And while we do mix things around a bit um, as when kids are younger, by the time they're 14, 15, many of our guys uh, really have a tight crew of six or eight guys that they really want to travel with. And they just relish those uh, friendships and that team ability to really move and to really live nicely on the land and really uh, enjoy each other's company. So that's the camper piece of it. And, of course, we're always looking for that next uh, trip staff guide from the camper ranks. And the guys know that, too. And if it figures in their plans or their family's plans for the future, uh, they're giving us signals that they want to be part of that experience. And we're... Uh, gratefully receiving those signals and looking in our own way for them and their potential. Yeah. Yeah. Fred, when you, and I don't know if this is part of your job specifically, but uh, as a camp, when you folks talk to parents about sending their kids on big trips, what, what sort of things do you talk to them about? Yeah. So we have a a fairly established, you know, um, progression of trips and, you know, no, just, uh, uh, kids can just, you know, sign up for one of these long trips on their first summer. So, you know, they've been on several trips, you know, they've been getting evaluations from previous guides. Um, so, you know, they're, they're technically invited. It's an invite only experience. Um, so that initial letter out to parents is, you know, explaining to parents, you know, uh, where the trip is going, why their child is being invited on this trip, um, what, what they can expect to uh, experience while they're out there. Um, and then we have, you know, very formal kind of informational evening where you go over a slideshow, kind of showing, showcasing the places we go on a map, what they can experience. Um, and our executive director, you know, he uses the line that he's uh, met plenty of people who have declined the invitation to go on this trip, and they've always regretted it. He's never met someone who's accepted the invitation and regretted it. Um, and I think, you know, it's that, it's that piece that parents are making a pretty big uh, financial commitment. You know, their kids are making a pretty big time commitment. 
Um, but at the end of the session, at the end of the summer, you look back and it's an experience that, you know, no kid is going to regret. It's not the kind of experience you can easily replicate down the road. You know, similarly to what, what Mike was saying, a lot of these campers have been on several trips together in the past. And it's this, it's this really unique bond where, yeah, you go nine months without seeing your friend. You see him again in June. You pick right up where you left off. And now you get to go on this wild adventure together. Yeah. And that's it's hard it's a hard thing to, you know, to make happen later on in life once, you know, colleges and jobs come along. Um, and just, you know, I think really stressing that these these campers have already developed an appreciation for wild places. They've an appreciation for, you know, getting outside of the of the modern world. But man, it's you know, just solidifying those friendships that is so huge on these trips and really allowing them to see a place that not many people, you know, get to go. So Right. That's a whole new level of, of experiences. That's just awesome. Yeah. Woody, do you folks facilitate the conversation between parents and kids in any way? Give one to, a tool to talk to the other about, you know, the experience or the, the you know, the time away? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we have certainly offered to parents, you know, here are here are some ways, maybe some questions that you want to ask your kids. I mean, in particular, I'm thinking about the, the biggest trip that we do because it really comes in sort of the second last day of the summer. You know, they've they've flown back from, you know, Inuvik and they've they've been flying all night and they slide into camp they paddle under the bridge there's 350 people going crazy there's a big celebration welcoming them back and the next day they're done and off to frosh week and uh there's just this like you you can just see it on their faces this you know it's over the and so um i i think on for some degree yeah we talked to some parents to say you know maybe here are some questions that you might want to ask but also be prepared for a quiet ride home and this may be a conversation that happens at thanksgiving once there's been some time to process what's just happened because they're just in that transition you know of, of going back to their to their their real lives um and i always sort of you know they the kids always when they come on to first year staff, we talk about what was really difficult, you know, transitioning back. And it's always, you know, when kids meet each other at Frosh Week, hey, what did you do for the summer? Oh, well, I was on a 52-day canoe trip. And and how do you sum that up? Right, you know, right. it's like you, you just can't really do that. So there's that, oh, well, that person can't. There's no way they can relate to what I just went through, yeah. you know. So anyways, but th- there there's a transition that happens for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I certainly can picture the 17 or 18 year old camper going to back to school and just saying, you know, you worked at McDonald's and partied with your friends and yeah. I was on a 50 day canoe trip. It's just so far apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting what you said, Fred, about the regret and not having regret by going mm-hmm. on, on the trip. And we, I saw that firsthand last year where we had a camper decide a couple of months beforehand to not go that camper did come back up to camp to welcome the big trip back because they they decided to do another program and it was emotionally overwhelming for them because they didn't go right and right. uh you know really transformative experiences for sure yeah, yeah we had a speaking of, when you mentioned frost week there and kids going off to school uh we had a trip on the copper mine river a couple of years ago that lost one of its packs into an eddy and they went on uh that that fall at school he met, met this girl, went to a wilderness camp up in Ontario. They started talking about rivers. He says, yeah, we were on the copper mine. We lost one of our packs. Uh, never saw it again. And she, she asked him, she said, was it a tan pack with some new bear barrel? And he yeah. goes, it was. And lo and behold, their group had lost a canoe, went into the same eddy, and uh, he was able to get his all of his stuff back. So that's like, awesome. Small world moments for not many people go to places. People who do... <laughs> you kind of run into them, and yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I don't know if that was one of one of your respective camps, but uh, <laughs> awesome. I'm wondering. I was on the copper mine two summers ago. So were uh, we, actually. Yeah. Ah, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We just had a a French guy who was soloing on the Mistassabi River. Uh, found one of our small day packs from a yard sale wipeout our guys had, and it was like two months later, and he shipped it back with. Good wishes, and that guy got all kinds of 
hoodies and uh, hats from <laughs> Pathfinder. I can tell you that. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing I one thing I have to say is you'd mentioned Frost Week. You know, in the states, I don't know about in Canada so much. We find that a lot of our guys who have been leading longer trips end up leading freshman orientation right. uh, wilderness experiences, and they they get to uh, thread together really rich and nice fabrics of relationship at their university in part because of their wilderness travel background and they get a leg up on career uh starts you know we have tons of guys who are lawyers and stockbrokers and doctors and whatnot but uh, you know a big cadre of our guys end up in professions that are related to field work or the outdoor industry and sometimes that jump starts as you make the transition from long trip leader into university uh leader yeah yeah, yeah. You know what's what's neat, Travis. If I can if I can say that, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning resilience with the kids, which then you know they go on to be staff members, and that resilience continues. And there's nothing like writing a reference letter for somebody when you're referencing these experiences. They're applying to med school, whatever they're getting into. These are real life experiences. It's a it's a it's what a community is like. You know, in the real world, it's 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 a microcosm of that, and and these folks they really go off to do some some pretty neat neat things. Yeah. Well, and this would be an open question for any of you. How do you teach your staff, and even the kippers have been on these kind of trips? How do you teach them to talk about this in how to relate this to people who can't who have no, no concept mm-hmm. in resumes or anything like that? It's interesting that you ask how we teach them, because I would say that my trainers are who have taught me how to do that. Um, Like what everyone's saying, a lot our trainers, not all of them come from Pinecrest, but they all come from um, experiences of being on trips and making those transitions. And um, I've seen our trainers really step into that, that responsibility of coming alongside their participants after the programs have finished, you know, through social media or I doubt anyone uses snail mail anymore, Uh, but keeping connected with them and helping them, uh, guiding them through those progressions. Uh, And I think that uh, for me, I haven't, it's been a long time since I've led a trip of that length uh, and being able to pass that responsibility on to folks who, who know it so much better and who, I mean, even if they're leading a trip, they're still doing that same transition when they come back. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. giving it to them. Right. Yeah, I I think, you know, I think a lot of them, uh, because we're empowering them to do a longer canoe trip, so therefore the support structure back at camp of a a section head or a head counselor and all of the support, um, it's very different on an extended canoe trip because you don't, you know, you have to really, really think for yourself. Not that the counselors don't think for themselves in the other environment, because they do, but it's different. So they're they're they they're living what it's like to um, to make those difficult decisions and how to how to guide their their group. So I think they can they see very um, readily how those skills transfer to to life, how they're, they're transferable. Yeah. And I think for a lot of them, it's actually quite easy to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I met a guy not that long ago, an executive with uh, Walmart. I bumped into him and talk, what do you do? This is what I do for Walmart. I, my wife and I, we run a children's summer camp and he went on to tell me about the, his beloved summer camp, but how he still uses stuff that he learned in his, his executive role. He was going off to Harvard to do a, a business course. And I mean, he's, he's work, living in a different world than yeah, I am, yeah. but the skills that our camps have provided, he's bringing that forward. I think that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the biggest skill sets in that regard that we've seen is uh, the sort of addictive um, satisfaction that groups of trippers get out of accomplishing together what would be mm-hmm. impossible impossible on your own. You know, that's a habit-forming feeling of yep. uh, success, empowerment, satisfaction, pleasure, and it transfers, right? It transfers into every aspect of life. And when you get, get that feeling and want it again, then all of a sudden you're leading and joining teams of people that are doing very positive things. Could be for salary and a living, or it could be you know, making the community or the family, you know, even better. And so uh, while that's hard for them to talk about in the days and weeks after a trip, I think it finally 
comes to the surface in their consciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know what I love too, Travis, about a, a long canoe trip. Um, you're just that much longer removed from electronics. You're unplugged. Yeah. And that parents are seeing a lot of value in that. Um, and I'm, I'm a parent of young children and, and, uh, you know, my 11 year old spends more time with electronics than, than I'm, you know, always happy about. So it's great to see them get unplugged for long periods of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of jumping on what slides was saying about addictive things, like yeah. that's a whole other element where they're, um, taken away from it and they come back from trip and realize I don't need that or I don't want it like I used to before. Yeah. We see that a lot. Yeah. yeah I can have a conversation with yeah. a, somebody in front of me. I can actually talk to that person. Yeah. It's okay. Fred, what do you guys do in terms of reintegration? So either, I mean, it, not necessarily integration back into the camp facility, but reintegration back into the other, the rest of life, the mundane life as as my co-director always called it. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm always hesitant to say like the real world. It's yeah, like, never. On. It's like, I think you just were in the True. real world. Yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, I'm, I'm guessing all of our camps are pretty great in this way in that, you know, we're isolated and it's kind of that slow reintegration where you come back to camp and you see your friends and family and you have kind of that first opportunity to talk about it a little bit. Um, and I think what's a great thing is, being that we primarily draw from the Twin Cities and a lot of our staff as well as campers come from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Um, you know, it'll be maybe that, that, that holiday Christmas break, you know, the groups can get back together and hang out again. Um, we do a number of events outside of the camp season that kind of create these opportunities for those groups to come back together, hang out, meet up. Um, you know, maybe it's as, as informal as getting coffee or maybe it's, you know, one of our organized events, but kind of allow them to like, touch base and kind of have that physical uh, contact again and like, you know, check in with each other and how's everybody doing? Like, oh man, college has been crazy. It's like, I just keep thinking about our trip and like how it's been for you doing this new job. So yeah, so being very intentional about creating those opportunities to, to maintain those friendships, um, you know, after the, after the trip, yeah. after they left camp. And I can't, I can't stress enough, you know, the importance of like you mentioned earlier, yeah, kind of warning parents. They're kind of giving them a heads up. Like, don't expect to hear all of like the stories right off the bat. You know, there's going to be stories seeping out for months and years to come. Don't expect them all to be right away, right off the yeah. bat. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I, I often talk about my experience in high school, where um, just going away to camp for for two months and having having those long term friends who are not camp people who eventually just call a halt and like in October one day just say, "I just need seven days off of camp stories, <laughs> seven days, and then I'm willing to listen to your camp stories all over again." But please just give me one week without camp stories. And I imagine it's just so much more when you have this intense relationship with the land with the trip with the, the people that you're out there with. Did anybody else have any, any good or, or maybe unusual reintegration tips? Anything that stands out? I, I have a feeling this isn't unusual. It just hasn't come up yet. Yeah. Uh, but there's also um, the really intentional debriefing before they come back into the camp experience. Right. And so uh, our trainers definitely are all trained and they come with amazing toolboxes already through their own experiences of um, ways to facilitate those discussions, but also ways to give those campers reflection time um, so that they can make sense of that and make meaning of their experience. Um, And then when they come back to camp, we give them opportunities to tell their stories, uh, which is another really important tool for them, uh, especially being able to, I I like how Fred talked about that transition piece and, and telling that story in camp where where they're legends, right? They're the ones who have been away all summer. We talk about all the time Um, and that they can tell that story to a more captive or more understanding audience before they transition into a place where telling that story is a little bit harder Um, or they get a blank stare once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. The way we do that piece of it is through um, a a bit of formal ceremony of their return. They paddle Mm -hmm. back into camp and that's a big hoopla Mm -hmm. uh, after having traveled forever to get back to Algonquin. Uh, and then we still use the council fire trip report, um, as a real tradition. I mean, it's a hundred years old with us, but, uh, at night, you know, the fire is lit and the whole camp together comes as a community and they hear from the, the trippers about their trip, uh, in that old fashioned way. 
Yeah. Frank, yeah, you're going to say? I think that, that, uh, that, that closing is super important, and we're very intentional about that as well. And I think, yeah, so often, you know, you, you share your story like, oh, how was your summer? It was amazing. I did this incredible trip, and some person's going to say like, oh, cool. You know, right. like, just kind of yeah. blow it off. And that can be like such a, such a you know, such a jab. So mm-hmm. really make sure that, you know, they feel supported, they feel welcome, and that mm-hmm. the whole community is proud of them. Uh, yeah, can't be stressed enough. And give that closure to the experience. It's huge. Yeah. And, the, and the, the great thing about the closure in that environment is everybody gets it. Like yeah. it's that yep. shared, whether you were out for five days or 52, you, you, you get it. There's that, that camaraderie that we've, we've all been out there together. And, uh, so through debriefing as Ruth, you mentioned and, 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 uh, trip reports and skits and just getting up in front of the dining hall, the whole community to say, this was our trip and talking about the trip and, just such a great opportunity but that that certainly helps solidify things with a group of people that are fully engaged in what it is you just went through right mm-hmm. right it, so there's so many things i think we could keep going and we'd love to come, come back to this at some point and think of it, how to dig even deeper into some of this stuff but um I wonder if you could have a little th- think about this be as our wrap up piece Ruth you mentioned about changing um the focus in the last few years and and equipping your staff with more mental health tools um any of you any of the others and ruth if you have something else please add it in but is there anything else that's that's changed a lot in the other than technology is there anything that's changed a lot about big trips in the past five years I could take a shot, I guess, yeah, to please. start. You know, there's a couple of things I wanted to be sure to have a chance to mention on the podcast, and it, they kind of fit into this slot. One is that we're working on constantly improving the cultural context that we have and can master uh, for the people and places we're going. Right, right, right. And I think for me, the last five years have seen a huge uptick in our effort to connect with people that uh, live full time uh, in the North. Uh, and to help our kids, and remember, our participants on those trips are only 15 compared to my friends on the podcast here. So mm-hmm. uh, for all of us to have a better cultural connection and context for the people that we're interacting with and for the land we're traveling on. And the other piece for me is um, is really continuing to embrace traditional travel at Pathfinder. Yep. And that's not just the gear um, and the methodology, but you know, in one sense, it's also hanging on to the idea that we don't want our guys just barely getting back um, banged up and threadbare after 38 days. We want them to come back having sewn their buttons back on and kept their stuff yeah. in good working order and kept their heads right so that they could turn right around the next day and go out uh, with clean underwear. So, uh, you know, traditional travel being being able to live uh, and thrive together. And uh, when you what you're looking for is the group to say, we could have kept going indefinitely. Right. We're working hard on that. And then the third one is very pedestrian, and that is we've got to get a handle on how we're going to continue to use um, SATCOM right. on our trip so that we don't spoil totally the culture and we don't disempower uh, the guides. So that's constantly evolving for us, a sense of what that's all about. That would be a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, sure. That's funny. Yeah, you mentioned that. That's exactly what I was thinking with the, the – um, the advent and the ease to which we have communication. So there's certainly a plus side to that, but we still want, we, we still need to create thinkers, you know, leaders who can, can make decisions and think for themselves and not immediately turn to, Oh my gosh, I have to call camp because it's the only thing I know to do, you know? So I would say that, that that's become more of a challenge and, and Ruth, the mental health, I even find the mental health with staff too, right? I mean, it's, it's it's campers and staff that that so uh, i i dare say over over the last few years we have become far more supportive that way in a much broader scope than than we were at one time yeah yeah Yeah, i think we've been you know looking at uh these trips more and more and, and all of our trips on the whole but especially these ones is wanting to really make sure that these spaces that we're going um Mm. are obviously physical face basically that we know well and feel comfortable sending trips 
but more importantly that our trips themselves are emotionally safe. And if there is a kid who's, you know, really dealing with some issues at home that we're, you know, using this experience as a place where they can, you know, talk about what they're going through and talk about what kind of problems they're facing or what their fears are and what their, what their strengths are. And, you know, really use these trips as a tool to all these kids to grow and transform and, uh, and get as much out of the physical experience, you know, as the emotional experience really training our staff to be intentional about what that looks like in terms of, you know, group forming and, and day-to-day routines and, uh, yeah, giving them, you know, as much, allowing them to take as much away from these trips as possible in as many different ways as possible. Um, I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent a bit on that yeah. one uh, and go more towards the communication piece again and recognize that over the past few years, uh, parents have more, you know, every year they get more access to, like, those horror stories of the one or two things that went wrong on a trip somewhere. Uh, and it makes it a lot, it's made it a lot harder for us uh, to, for parents to understand why we don't communicate with our trips every day uh, or why they don't check in. And we do that in, in other ways, uh, but that parents, parents are asking for the sat phone numbers. So they can call their kids and, check in <laughs> and parents are, um, and parents luckily not as much within our community because like what everyone's been saying, right? We've built up, um, an understanding of this tradition of, of long-term canoe tripping or tripping, tripping in general, uh, but that that's a really hard thing for a lot of families to buy into. Um, the culture change and, and the stories that they hear and, and helping them to understand the value associated with that risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, so Mike, you had some good stuff you wanted to cover. Does anybody else have stuff that they wanted to make sure was said uh, in this discussion? Hmm. I think um, just if, if one last thing for me, and I, I know resilience keeps coming yeah. up. I think if you're on a five-day canoe trip and you're experiencing a lot of rain and discomfort, I think that you you know the end is quite close. You know you you're close to those comfort creatures again, back back at camp or back at home, wherever. And those trips absolutely have value. I mean, those are building blocks to where we go. And in the end, though, the the long trips, you know, if it's day seven through fourteen of tough bugs and conditions and portages, and boy, it's really uncomfortable. Um, it just has a different way of testing your metal. Yeah, you know, yeah. and um, so the the resilience is at a different level when you're experiencing a long canoe trip. You're you're further from your creature comforts, and maybe you're having to push yourself a little bit more out of your comfort zone. And I think that's when when participants get a real taste of the possibilities of what they can do, right? Which is yeah. more so in a longer experience. Um, than a, than a shorter one. Right. Right on. Yeah. Our caveat with, with that is trying to figure out ways to make sure that the participants who go campers and guides are really ready to go Yeah. on a yeah. trip like that. And for us, we have the advantage of, you know, sort of a lot of career kids who are coming year after year and building themselves up for it. Uh, and staff who incrementally get more and more qualified to lead. Um, Less of a challenge for us, but I'm sure a huge challenge for other camps is uh, putting first-year campers on long trips mm-hmm. uh, because that's who's coming and wanting the experience or second-year campers or um, and finding ways to help them be ready to the extent you can. Uh, it's got to be a big uh, challenge, but such a worthwhile one to grapple with before you throw them out into that metal testing scenario that Woody's talking about. Yeah. Well, listen, folks, I am so grateful for this discussion and um, for you being a part of this. Thank you very much. Uh, at the end of the show, for those of you watching or listening, we'll give you a chance to, to find out how to connect with these people if you have follow-up questions or or something they said really stuck out to you. But um, if you're a long-term listener, you'll know that uh, we're always grateful for people who give us feedback on the show. So if you want to let us know about this show in particular or any of the other shows, um, please go to camphacker.tv slash iTunes and uh, you can leave us 
your feelings, an honest review would be great. We really appreciate that. That helps us um, get more people listening and certainly it gives us the opportunity to have this platform, to have these long, good discussions about camp. So we're grateful for that. So then I think it's, it's time for us to start to wrap things up. What I'd like to do is move us on to our tool of the week. Tool of the week. For those of you who are joining because you, you love the power of big trips and are listening to your first Camp Hacker podcast, the, the tool of the week is something we ask the panelists to bring that um, in its simplest form helps them be a better camp leader, a better camp director. Um, and they go back to past shows, you'll see the tool of the weeks have been broad in spectrum and, and, and deep in purpose. So um, we're looking forward to hearing from these panelists today what their tool of the week is. Um, we have some that are really specifically trip-oriented, which I'm ex- super excited about. So, um, Woody, I'm going to start off with you. What's, uh, what's your tool of the week for the show? Um, it, we do halfway through the summer. It's called the Safety Review. And uh, it's an opportunity for all of our staff to connect with, uh, in our case, it's uh, uh, some board members that have been tasked with the job of connecting with each staff member one-on-one, how their summer is going, what policies are working, what changes do we need to make, how's our equipment, how are you doing emotionally, all kinds of chances to connect. It's, it's, it's really an opportunity for us to see how we're doing partway through and um, it's not with myself or JJ, the two directors. So it's an opportunity for um, staff to to say things if they need to say in an environment that uh, that they feel like they can say it, and and or you know, simple things may come out like you know the way we've been packing for these trips doesn't really work. Let's modify this. And there's nothing like input from folks that are right in the field. Yeah. And so that's our our in a nutshell. A safety review partway through the summer. Right. And Woody, is that formalized in any way? Like, does a board member come in with a clipboard and a piece of paper that's been created ahead of time, or is it less? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, there are a list of questions, and of course, then there's, you know, there's, there's room for dialogue uh, to expand. But there's a, there is a structure that uh, that's been agreed upon beforehand, and uh, that's what we'll we'll go in with. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And the staff, they wait for it. Yep. They love it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's now part of the culture. Yeah. Well, yeah, any staff member who would appreciate the chance to be heard and look forward to a chance to share some things they've learned. Good. Thank you for starting off with a very strong tool. Um, okay. Fred, you had um, a couple of great ideas to help people planning this kind of trip. Yeah, I heard about this uh, really, really great mapping website called caltopo.com a couple of years ago. Um, it's got, I will say it's a little more biased towards the United States and Canada in terms of some of the available maps, right. but that, that, be, that being said, I've been able to, you know, get a call in from a trip in Manitoba saying they see smoke and I pull up their location on this map and it looks like, yep, I had more up-to-date fire information than right. the incident commander did. So <laughs> it's great for, for on-the-spot check-ins with where they are. It's great for route planning. You can, you know, do a really good job of seeing trails, seeing ranges. Uh, just an amazing amount of information is on this website. So for planning new routes, looking at where groups currently are in relation to where they should be. Uh, yeah, it's just an all-around. It's my, it's my go-to uh, map tool these days. Cool. And is that a is it a subscription service? Uh, the, the basic one is is totally free and it's 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 sufficient. Um, yeah. You can pay for like an upgraded pro version, right. but uh, but yeah, the the basic one is is great. Cool, yeah. that's great. Thank you so much, um, Mike. I'm looking forward to hearing yours. You had some cool ideas, I think. Well, we talked a little bit about number one. That's yeah. our uh, Council Fire Trip Reports tradition, which I think is a great tool uh, for us, and it includes the warm welcome back to camp for the trippers. And uh, a ceremonial and sort of stylized way for them to bask in the recognition, to feel that initial reflection, and to inspire those younger campers and staff. Uh, and I might mention that, you know, the younger people and the shorter trips are included in those council fire ceremonies so that long trip, medium trip, short trip all blend together in kind of mutual admiration and and respect and excitement. So that's cool. I think that's a good tool is to go back to that. Uh, one of those woodcraft roots, right. uh, in camping. The other piece, uh, that I think is a great tool 
And we're evolving ours is to have some sort of evac fast kit on your trip, your long trip. Something in the brain of a staff man's uh, baby pack that he's uh, got with him all the time, uh, having the canoes ready to get out of there. <laughs> if you're on the river and the polar bear shows up, um, you know, if something happens and forces you to abandon a, a good portion of your outfit or leave your campsite, um, you've got uh, the basics that you need, uh, including your com, your com devices, mm-hmm. um, in one place ready to bug out. Um, and so we're we're thinking about that more and uh, trying to come up with a system that that makes that a um, reliable default. Yeah. And it's a shame that we have to think about these kinds of things, but it's well worth it. Yeah. So what other stuff would, would be included in that kit, Mike? You know, it's stuff like um, no-brainer fire-making supplies mm-hmm. so that uh, rather than having to be crafty when you're under duress, you've got a uh, quick fire uh, at the ready, having your SATCOM there, having your some backup power, uh, gizmo if you need it, having some things like just uh, space blankets and... Um, um, and uh, you know, extra set of bear bangers and flares, um, a little bit of uh, backup uh, first aid, a little bit of just energy, small energy food source stuff, just a little, just a little kit uh, so that no matter uh, what's happening, you've got those fundamentals and uh, you can talk to camp and assistance. You can have a little bit of shelter and, and uh, warmth. You can have a little bit of sustenance yeah. and you can uh, sort out your problems and push ahead. Right. Because it's a lot easier to think when you're a little bit warmer, have a little bit in your belly. And the, you know, the kids, the kids get a lot of uh, psychological sustenance out of having uh, the guys be able to reset and and uh, help them and then move ahead. Right. Yeah. So we haven't, yeah, we haven't had to use it, but someday. Cool. Yeah. And you're ready when you when it is someday. Yep. That's awesome. Good. Thank you, uh, Ruth. What did you bring us for your tool? My tool has nothing to do with these tripping things directly. Um, I have fallen in love with the Passion Planner this year, uh, and it's something that I was always really skeptical about until a friend started using it. Um, And what I like about it and what I've learned a lot as a camp director through it, I'm touching it right now, uh, is that it uh, has taught me how to goal set in a really different way, and it's taught me how to prioritize uh, and to link those two things together. Um, and so I am really good at keeping a really long list of things to do and then just eeny, meeny, miny, mowing every mm-hmm. time I finish one. Uh, and instead, I've learned to prioritize and plan and manage my time a lot better through it. So it's been a huge tool for me in being more efficient as, as a director. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a physical something that you bought? Yeah. So uh, it was started by Kickstarter. So you can either buy it or you can download their whole um, document for free and then use it as you do. So I know different people interact with it differently, but there's yeah. some good tips. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, tis the season for planners because that's my mm-hmm. pick as well. <laughs> um, I uh, oops. Um, this mine just came in the in was just shipped in. It's called the Productivity Planner. Mm-hmm. I assume that you can read that. Um, it's, it's backwards. Um, it. Uh, I'll put the links. The same for for everything that we've talked about that we can um, that we can point a link to. So. Um, Fred's and Roots and mine, um, you'll see that in the, the notes. So if you go to camphacker.tv slash podcast, look for this, which is episode 87. Um, you'll see the links to these things. And um, so Productivity Planner um, was also a Kickstarter that I supported. A lot of the same ideas, good stuff for prioritizing. Um, they also sent out a PDF to backers. Um, and I modified that and put it inside GoCamp Pro for people to print off um, for our members. And um, just nice to get the physical product in my hand. It's, I don't know, I don't know what it is about nice paper and well-organized thing that's kind of inspiring. And you feel like you could take on, not take on more, but have more control over over <laughs> things. And I really have been using the, this no model. More taking that, stuff on. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I really have been using this model from Productivity Planner now for two months and have found it um, makes things feel a little more in control. So... Uh, I would check it out. You can get a six month book for 25 bucks, which is kind of expensive in my mind. Um, we're going to use it for six months and see how it feels about re- reinvesting. Uh, but for now, I think it's, it, it's certainly worth it. So 
And do check the um, campacker.tv slash podcast for the show notes for this and all of our other shows. In my in my dream world as a podcaster, if we had an intern, their, one of their jobs would be to go back through past episodes and create a separate section on our blog of just tools. That would be the all tool of the week section. Um, and maybe someday that will happen. But uh, in the meantime, I encourage you to check that out. There's great stuff from today and uh, from our past tools, uh, past shows as well. So uh, at this time, and then it's it's time for us to start to to wrap this up. I really want to thank our panelists for being a part of this, giving up part of their day and sharing with the wider community. Um, I'm going to give each of you a chance to just uh, let people know how to get in touch with you, where to follow up and check out your camps. Um, and, uh, and we'll say goodbye after that. So, Fred, I would uh, invite you to start first. Where can people get in touch with you or uh, and check out and check out your camp? Yeah, probably the easiest way. Our website is just campminogen.org. That's M-E-N-O-G-Y-N. Email info at campminogen. And uh, you can follow us on on Instagram or uh, minogen.magic. Right on. Well, Fred, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, this has been awesome. It's been really fun chatting with with all of you. I feel like there's some follow-up emails to pick your brains on the strengths (laughs) that y'all are bringing to the table. So this has been great. Thanks a bunch. It's great to have you, um, Mike. How about you? How can people connect with you if you if they have some follow up questions or want to check out Pathfinder? Yeah, for sure. Please do. It's uh, camppathfinder.com or email Mike at camppathfinder.com, and I'll be looking to connect with Ruth and Fred and make new friends. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Thanks, Mike, for being on the show. Thanks, Ruth. Yeah, uh, you can reach us online, camppinecrest.ca, uh, or our email is camp.pinecrest at ymcagta.org. And Facebook is where we're most present online, for sure. Great, great, great. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so great to have you here, Ruth. Thank you. Thanks. Right on. And Woody, how about uh, getting in touch with you or finding out about one of today? Um, yeah, it's uh, internet-driven, so mm-hmm. it's uh, wanapate.net. That's W-A-N-A-I-P-I-T-E-I and uh, .net as in hockey net and, uh, or Woody at wannapate.net. And uh, yeah, everything is, uh, is online. Right on. And it's nice to meet you guys, see you guys and slats. Good to see you as well. Yeah. Right, Woody. See you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Woody, for being on. Um, once again, thank you to all of the panelists for being here. If... Um, you know, if there's any way you want to get in touch with me, you have suggestions for future shows, um, or just want some help to, to get in touch with past panelists, um, reach out to Travis at camphacker.tv. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram as at camphacker. Um, and we're doing a little push with um, Snapchat this spring uh, under the GoCamp Pro banner. So you could look for uh, GoCamp Pro on Snapchat. Um, just was a, an experiment to uh, see if we can learn some lessons to pass on to camps as a, another communication um, method. Now, not something I would ever advocate for on a long trip, but uh, in between in between trips when everybody's at home. Um, so uh, thank you very much for, for joining us, for either watching this on YouTube. If you appreciated the show and thought that uh, you got some good insights from these folks, we would love it if you subscribe and, and share this video. And uh, if you're a listener on your smartphone while you're walking a dog or doing your dishes or driving somewhere, um, stay safe. And thanks for, for being a part of this conversation. Thanks for the evening, friends. Thank you, Travis. Good. Travis. Done. Thanks, Travis. Well played, thanks, everybody. Travis. The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Walking Maverick Consulting at walkingmaverick.com. Thanks for listening. Oh, oh.